open up to Q&A now. My question is, the body doesn't feel like a safe place, for example, or where you are in the present is not feeling safe. It is not safe. Maybe I'm hearing you wrong, but are you saying to take refuge in the heart, which is located in the body, but if the body and or the present is not a safe place to be, that's my question. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying. Physical body is, of course, um, subject to external problems, external impact so physical body's really never that safe <laughs> but we're not quite referring to the physical body uh, we're talking more about the uh, energy system in the body um, that which is like an intelligence within the body it's associated with how the body regulates its energy so breathing in and breathing out, for example, is a very obvious example of how the body moderates its energy. Right? You breathe in, it brings up energy. You breathe out, it dissipates it. Breathing in and out does that day and night, whether you're asleep, whatever you're doing, it does that. So it's a very safe system. Uh, the energy system in the body is um, here and now. It's not affected by sense contact. Very simple example, because we don't really understand what the energy body is. But if you take an example of standing with both feet on the ground, relaxing your legs and standing in a balanced way, that sense of balance, right? Now, if somebody's pointing a gun at you, that sense of balance will remain the same. The balance will remain the same. The problem is you won't notice it because you'll be concerned about the person with the gun, which is obvious. But the energy system only experiences itself in accordance with what it's dealing with, which is the regeneration of energy in the body. It doesn't experience physical sense contact. It does experience our emotional contact. The body can feel not safe even when physically it is safe. So we can feel kind of slightly unsafe when actually in most respects we look around nobody's actually attacking me nobody's bothering me um, still i feel kind of slightly tense and withdrawn because the energy body is being affected by the psychologies that we develop and through um, sense contact and the disturbances of sense contact we develop a certain defensiveness that affects our energy our energy body is also affected by a psychology of what happened to us, but also what didn't happen to us. So, for example, when we were born, we weren't born into a secure or comfortable family situation. Then the energy body never really properly developed comfort and ease. It always felt nervous. So then 25 years later, you still feel that same sense of not feeling welcome, not feeling safe. Not because of the physical circumstances, because of the psychological circumstances. The psychological circumstances can stay with you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
I've been experiencing a lot of repressed emotions. The pandemic seemed to trigger this fight-flight response. I've been meditating for some years, but suddenly everything gets caught in the brain. And I've been working with somatic feelings just to sort of be anchored in the body. I noticed this stuff, but I also notice how the brain gets hijacked, this fight-flight response, you know, this trauma kind of response. And so I'm aware, I notice, so that's helpful, but it seems to be a bit of a fight <laughs> to be in the body and to notice this fight-flight response. If you have any approaches on that. Yeah. Well, okay. Hmm. Just uh, want to follow from the last uh, question, when the question was asking about safety and threat, there's this famous example of the Zen monk all these funny stories are always given to Zen monks. Apparently Theravada monks don't have any funny stories. <laughs> so his Zen monk is kind of sitting somewhere and the local warlord comes in who's very angry and says, I want to take over your temple. You've got to, and the monk says, you're not allowed to do that. It's not proper. This is a sacred place. And the warlord says, look, I'm taking over this place. You better get out where I'll cut your head off. The monk says, you're not allowed to do that. This is inappropriate. This is a sacred place. And the warlord says to him, look, do you realise I could cut your head off without batting a hair? The monk says, do you realise you could cut my head off and I wouldn't care at all? <laughs> he felt safe. Just think about that. Because this body, the physical body is going to die, obviously just what day it's going to be we don't know we probably won't be we won't, won't really enjoy it very much <laughs> but the idea is you if you get your energy body right it stays still and composed and doesn't react to sensory conditions what it does react to which i'm going to refer to is psychological conditions you may think the two are the same Clearly, if somebody's attacking with your knife, psychologically, you are very disturbed and frightened. That affects your body. You get shivering and shaking. But someone who's deeply practiced sees someone with a knife and goes, OK, now is not the time to experience fear because if I die, I will die in a state of fear. Therefore, it's best to be calm. And that often calms people down. It certainly happened to me when I've been attacked. Just maintaining a sense of calm and ease calms down the person who are attacking you. And if it doesn't, you think, well, I have to die one day. This day I won't die in fear. I'll die in peace. And what else could we ask for? Okay. So it's the psychological conditions that affect the emotional energy. Now to get back to this question, so how to deal with it when you're going into fight and flight? How to practice metta or something like that? Well, I would suggest, this may sound slightly strange, you really go into how the body feels in terms of flight and fright. How your feet feel, how your knees feel, how your wrists feel how everything in your body feels. Go right into that, into the energy itself. 
of of what the body does in that experience if you go into it completely your mind won't be reacting to it because your mind will be in it it's the mind that keeps accelerating and it goes into this non-stop accelerator that can't break the link the body if you go into the body and it's feeling fear and uh, fight flight there's the ground beneath me relax the hands steady open the chest breathing in breathing out oh it begins to change by itself if somebody's panicking somebody's experiencing a panic attack you don't tell them what to do you basically take them by the hand and go for a walk or you put your arm around their shoulder it's physical contact with something that's grounding that takes you out of the mental loop which is not the mental loop is a psychological loop it's often not associated so much with thinking but with a certain emotional current a panic reaction and if we but if we go into the complete fullness of the body and connect fundamentally connect to the ground beneath us and the space around us the body can come out of that the energy body feels oh yeah it begins to re-establish itself um this is what i suggest and it's worth cultivating that energy body because for many people the very term itself is slightly mysterious but for many people it's rather um, broken or or depleted um if you if you if you like to have it less mysterious think of it as your nervous system yeah so if people if your nervous system is constantly revving up accelerating in order to get things done what's happening is you're producing all kinds of chemicals that go into the into the body and that pattern of nervous energy becomes established as the default mode it gets it gets customized to being in that particular pattern um, yeah so this begins to actually change it affects your energy body your energy body becomes frail and depleted unfortunately this is the case for many people because of this high pressure pushing exhausts the energy system so that when you switch off you kind of collapse even though your mind is buzzing away you feel quite depleted but even though your mind is buzzing so it's really helpful to do restorative body practices such as just walking in nature breathing deeply um these are very obvious just breathing deeply in nature we are not getting these alarm signals the body will begin to rebuild you can do things such as qigong or tai chi they help to build up your body energy system it's not about power it's about um health vitality if that system is then clear and clean it really is much more capable of discharging stress discharging stress 
course, this is what meditation is supposed to be about. But again, for meditation, for many people, it can be you sit there and you go into your head. <laughs> you know, you're just thinking or trying to meditate from the idea of your, what you think meditation is rather than going into the body. The more you build up bodily connections, bodily energy, then you'll have a very strong counterbalance to these reflex energies of panic, uh, overwhelm, uh, fight, flight, and so forth. Thank you. Thank you, Ajahn, for the teaching. The last two and a half years when we were all in the pandemic mode, the form of communication has been these uh, small text messages and we don't have the opportunity to engage in a conversation, engaging the body, feeling it's, it's very impulsive, very quick, very short. And sometimes I feel lost. I'm not catching up to where the mind state of others are in those quick one line, two line sentences. And it's still continuing because here in California, we're still not that much mobile, even though we're coming out of the pandemic and stuff. So all those body practice and stuff, like how do we connect when the world around us is operating in a different mode? Yeah. What you can do on a screen is helpful, particularly if you just do chanting together. You know, if you get 25 people or 12 people and say, can we all chant together? Sometimes Zoom is not so good at this, but there are other formats you can try to practice with because chanting is much more resonant goes straight to the heart and when you chant you listen and you listen to the tones of another person's voice yeah and that goes straight to the heart so it's it's very warming and gladdening yeah you recognize that um when we use words we're using our second language not our first language when we were born we didn't have this language but we knew what we knew what the sound of a voice meant you knew what what tones meant you knew what was a simple rhythmic comforting tone because you learned that when you're in the womb you could hear the heartbeat you learned what rhythm and sound mm. meant what comfortable what that meant what that felt like so remember words are our second language not our first language Talking comes from here, chanting comes from here. <laughs> and when you chant, it's rhythmic. And it's it's about sound. And for chanting, you have to use your whole body. I mean, at least your upper body. You can't just chant from here. You have to chant including your chest and your belly and your breath. So it's a very full embodied way of um, <laughs> using your voice and when you do that with other people 
there's a lovely sense of sharing that goes on with it. Because if you chant together, you have to listen. Otherwise the voices don't meet. If you listen while you're chanting, you get the sense of something called harmony. And harmony is a musical term. It also refers directly to a psychological and mental state. Right? Do you understand? Why is it that all our cultures like to sing? Every culture likes to sing. We get together and we sing and we sing, we feel happy. You know, and what the words are saying often is silly or don't really matter, but we sing and we feel happy. We chant, we feel happy. We move our bodies rhythmically when people do these religious dances. And it's a feeling of collectedness and sharing and happiness. So this is, you can't really do a lot of dancing on a screen. (laughs) You can chant. (laughs) That's helpful. Uh, The other helpful thing, I know you've got some trees behind you. I don't know whether it's just wallpaper or it's actual trees. That's wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you can find a real tree... (laughs) Being with trees helps, definitely. Uh, it's just again, it's it's not rational. It's not rational. Originally, our species didn't arrive in concrete. <laughs> it arrived in a living environment, and the most fundamental elements of the living environment are trees, you know, the earth. If you go out there and you really give attention to it, it's, it wakes up something. You remember you're you're an animal that lives on the earth belongs to the earth you're not kind of a a socialized thing up living up in your head you're you're you have an animal body and when you go return to that you return to the earth and that you feel a fundamental sense of communion it's why you know maybe one of the reasons why of course the buddha most of his arahants used to like living in the forest that's where they learn how to be really grounded and and open-hearted and clear about existence. Thank you. Thank you, Long for the talk. You mentioned when we were in the thinking mind, we tend to think about what's wrong with the world. It was recently very apparent to me that I was feeling slightly depressed, trying to keep up with inflation and, you know, with all the economies and the war and just stuff going on in the world. It does feel like like somewhat hopeless kind of situation. When I meditate, there is some sort of relief or at least there is some sort of, yeah, it does help. So I was wondering if Longpore can give some insights into how can I be a bit more consistent with the practice, I suppose? Well, don't take on more than you can manage. You see, when you look at the media and the news, it's fundamentally about fear, hatred and delusion. You know, things to feel frightened about, things to feel angry and annoyed about, and things that just kind of 
entertain yourself with to get away from the other two. <laughs> and you don't have too much of that because um, most of it you can't do very much about anyway, directly. You have to prioritise what you can do something about is the state of your mind and heart. And that often means uh, filtering, restraining how much you take in. If you take in topics that always engender worry and depression, you'll feel worried and depressed. <laughs> but most, most of the news is about things of this nature. And many of the good things that are happening don't get to the newspapers because they're not very interesting. Then hit the headlines. Um, you know, a day in the life of a Buddhist monk doesn't hit the headlines. I get up, I sit there. I sit there for an hour and a half. <laughs> so what? <laughs> maybe I have a cup of tea. Okay, and then maybe do a few emails. That's yeah, okay. Then maybe do some exercise. And then, you know, go out and help sweep up the monastery and then so forth. Then go back, have a meal, have the meal, and then see people after the meal, talk to people about problems and what's happening and try to encourage people. And then, okay, and the afternoon might read something, meditate, take a rest. Or evening, it's nothing, it's nothing. There's nothing to remember. <laughs> <It's t> <laughs> There's no news in it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, you know, if you get down to what, what are you doing in your day, that's the most important news, right? Because that's the news that really relates to you. What's your news? You know, read that newspaper every day. Got up, felt a bit anxious and depressed, so decided I'd do some jogging or something, shake myself out of it, jogged around the street for a while, uh, noticed a few people selling things on the street, got back home again, had some breakfast. Okay, you know, then I decided to sit in meditation for a while. I mean, look at the news. And uh, also make your news, decide... I did an act of generosity. I kept a precept today. I kept a few precepts today. That's headline news, because if everybody did that, you wouldn't have the world problems. <laughs> right? That's very important news. Rather than who's bombing who, <laughs> which you can't do anything about. So to get that, manage what you can. If you feel, you know, you get some confidence and strength you may be able to help other people I'm sure you will why not um, but you can't help anybody else if you're just feeling overwhelmed and depressed all the time thank you thank you Ajahn I'm a psychologist a psychotherapist working with people who have had very severe trauma trauma at the hands of parents or other kinds of attachment figures. I try to work on myself, of course, to get those own energies cleared and to be able to provide that sort of um, mm. attuned presence, if you will, mm -hmm. to the other and to create that sense of 
safety through my own attunement. Do you have one or two recommendations or ideas about the best way that I can help other people to clear those energies that are affecting the heart and the body? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that you're doing all this good work. It's um, absolutely necessary and wonderful that you're doing this. Um, very helpful. And I imagine extremely uh, testing at times. You must meet so much pain and, and misery <laughs> and confusion. And see how the human being gets so messed up through things they didn't do. You know, they didn't do anything. They had things done to them or the right things weren't done to them. You know, either the, the right qualities of love and care weren't provided or the wrong qualities of abuse came in. You know, and essentially, I suppose, what you're doing is inviting someone into a human environment where the right things are being done and the wrong things aren't being done. That's your fundamental practice. Mm. The thing I would suggest is, this may sound strange, but don't see them as problems. Um, People are experiencing trauma and these disagreeable uh, states that cause them to be psychologically challenged and unbalanced. Naturally, we sense this as a problem. Actually, you should not see it as a problem. If you see it as a problem, then something in you will always be trying to make it different, trying to help them to get over it, uh, seeing it in negative terms. That is understandable, but not helpful. It puts a certain kind of pressure and you know, people are very sensitive and in the traumatic territory we're extremely sensitive to senses of being excluded. You're not adequate, there's something wrong with you. You need me, you're not good enough. Even though these words aren't being said, one can unconsciously be offering that sense of, you know, I'm the healthy one, you're the one who's not healthy. Well, that confirms it. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? You know, do you see what I mean? So these experiences that this person's having are being more, well, how is that? Oh, tell me about it. Where does it move? What does it bring up? That's interesting. Oh, really? Oh, you know, it's just sort of a sense of curiosity and... Um, interest and of course well that sounds difficult that sounds difficult how you know so certainly one can say there's difficulty there and how how do you meet that and can we meet that together so the more you kind of enter into the other person's presence on a very deep level then i i think you're going to find that there's something happens just through that relationship of trust and openness 
It is not mediated by the mind. It's not that you do it. It happens because of what you're establishing. In that situation, you may find suddenly imaginative things happen. You think, oh, you know, something happens and you communicate. But I think one of the difficult or the questionable things is the sense of the distancing between the therapist and the client, patient, whatever you like to call them. Perhaps we should realise we're all participating in the human condition in all its colours and flavours and feelings. We're all participating and we all learn from each other, learn from each other's pain as well as each other's happiness. Thank you, Ajahn. Hi, Ajahn. I have this relationship issue with my sister. As I was complaining about how she treated my mum, so then I was speaking in a harsh way to her, and then that caused her not to talk to me. So that's now when you talk about doing wrong to other people, and then whether normally we think it's okay, but the feeling uh, actually is not okay, because I, I didn't feel right with this kind of atmosphere and this kind of relationship at home. Maybe Ajahn can give me some advice on how to deal with this. Thank you. Well, you can directly deal with your relationship with your sister because that's the one you're directly in. So if you're feeling disappointed with her or annoyed with her, is there some way of saying, you know, sister, that what you did, that affected me or it affected me like this. Um, I know you can do better than that. Um, just so you're trying to encourage the goodness in a person. I want to live in harmony with you. I find it rather difficult to live in harmony with you when I'm experiencing this sense of what do you experience. Um, you're talking about your experience because that's the one you directly know. You're directly feeling it. You're directly living it. So you talk about that. yeah. And you might also say, oh, you know, I'd like to know if I've said things to you that you haven't felt very good about. Please tell me. So you enter that relationship of trust and friendship. When that's established, it's much easier to say, well, you know, this, how do we relate to our mother? <laughs> because obviously your sister, if she has a negative relationship with your mother, there must be some kind of reason for that, that she needs some help with. So you've got to be a friend rather than someone who judges and criticises her. You have to be a friend. Does that make sense to you? Yes, uh, Ajahn. But now I think she has closed up to herself. So I think uh, it's very difficult for me to talk to her or to communicate with her. Mm. Uh, something's blocking me yeah. to talk to her. Well, if she's closed, again, you can't do too much about that, but you can do something about yourself. Which may be saying, you know, I'd like to be open to you. Whether you're open to me or not, I can't make that happen, but I can be open to you. I'm feeling a bit 
saddened and disappointed and, you know, I'd like some help with that. That's pretty open, isn't it? And she might say, well, that's your problem, so what, you know? But <laughs> maybe she would. But, you know, you realise, oh, so it's not that everybody, it doesn't always work. But you know you've done what you can. And that's very important. And maybe she'll change. If you keep that openness towards her, however she is, maybe she'll change over time. Okay. Okay, thank you, Ajahn. Okay, you're welcome. We're really glad that we were able to get a lot of questions today. And thank you, Ajahn, for for um, answering all of them and uh, taking your time to address each one with um, care. Take care. Be well. Goodbye, everybody. Love to see you.